Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm joined today by Aaron Golub, and he became the first legally blind athlete to play football in a Division I game when he was at Tulane University. Now, today, he is a motivational speaker who can teach us all a thing or two about not letting other people and have their assessments define who we are, as opposed to us reaching our actual potential and full capabilities. Aaron, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I have to actually shout out one of my work colleagues, Peter Orozco, who uh, sent me an email about you a few weeks back. He was like, Corey, oh my gosh, you got to hear this guy's story. It's so great. And, um, and so I definitely when I read about you, I thought you were so aligned with who we are as an organization. So to begin with, I would love to ask you, though, if I may, is your condition something that happened later in life or was it something you were born with? I was born, born with it. Okay. And so basically it's really one of those things that, you know, people don't understand. Sometimes there's different degrees as well of, uh, impairment or blindness. So you have blindness in one eye and then you have an impairment in the other. Correct. Correct. My right eye is completely blind and my left eye is, is very limited vision. Yep. Okay. Okay. And what's fascinating about that is, you know, there's always a comparison between people who I guess are fully able-bodied accomplishing far less than people who have to deal with some of life's challenges. And I think you are one of those great examples. And so let's begin with, you have this amazing rise working as an athlete, basically, or in a college athlete, but you seemed in the beginning, when I was looking at some interviews, you almost seemed to shy away from sort of telling your story and talking to the press a little bit. I think it's just because it's who you were. So talk about like why you think people were so interested in your story. Yeah, I mean, it was unique. Like you said, I was the you know, first athlete who was you know, legally blind. But in the beginning, and you know, still today, you know, my goal isn't to be, you know, the best disabled athlete or the best, you know, disabled speaker or best disabled entrepreneur. Like I wanted to be the number one long snapper in the nation, and I wanted to play at the highest level possible. And that's what my focus was. I didn't care what my vision was, what others was, no one was going to give it to me easy. I would, you know, hit just as hard as everyone in, in practice and games. I would, you know, lift just as much as everyone in the weight room. I'd run just as much as everyone on the field. Like I my focus was on being you know, a top tier division one athlete, not being this, you know, legally blind athlete. Right, right. And for the record, I mean just people who don't know you, I mean physically, you're like what, six two and like a hundred, like not just like 200 pounds or you were like kind of a big guy. My, my pro day numbers, I was like six, two, like two seventeen when I was at my biggest for, for NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I think that very often people mean well, maybe when they're putting limitations on us, I think they're concerned, but I know you had an interest in football. I think, I guess, from what I was reading, probably earlier, but by seventh grade, you had a real serious passion for football. And I think your parents and your coach, right, they're monumental in how you decided 
it was possible. So tell me a little bit about the role that it played having other people sort of believing what you believed. Whenever you have a goal or, or some sort of success in your life, no one gets there on their own. You know, everyone has people around support. And so my parents definitely played a, a crucial role when I was growing up specifically, you know, helping me you know, get to where I need to go. But at the end of the day, I think in any goal and any challenge, it's, it's an internal choice to push through it and, and do the work and accomplish what you set out to. You know, yes, there are people there who supported me and helped me with coaches, with family members, with parents. But at the end of the day, it's, it's are you willing to do it yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, and I think it's a universal story as well. When I hear you speak and I watch some of the podcasts you're on, and what I think is interesting is that your situation is, of course, your own, very specific, but it's definitive of the fact that we all have something, right? Everyone, maybe to a degree higher than others, maybe where there's more disadvantages or whatever might be the assessment. But what I get from you is a belief that we all are in the same boat when it comes to having to believe we are able to accomplish something and shutting out the outside voices. So talk about that a little bit. I think, you know, a, a lot of people make decisions in life, whether it be when they're younger, their life decisions, their business decisions, whatever it may be based on other people's judgments, thoughts, opinions, feelings. And that's what stops a lot of people from accomplishing what they want. They're afraid of what other people think. And because of that, they're not willing or able to go after their goals, go after their dreams and, and have that true ambition. You know, instead, they should be focused on why do they want to do something because they want to do it and not worry about other people's judgments or opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was saying earlier too. I think people probably mean well, but I guess when it comes to someone who they think may have a an obstacle, like some sort of physical condition, I think their intentions are they're protecting you if they're, if they're putting limitations on you. But I think that it's definitive of what in general we do. But do you, I do wonder also, because I know regularly people have self-doubts as well. So we can often be our own biggest voice, our own loudest detractor. Actually, did you ever have those instances for you where you were like, okay, maybe I'm just, maybe this is crazy. I can't do this. Or were you always just like, no, I'm gonna rock this out. I'm a rock star. You know, I, when I started playing football in seventh grade, I wasn't good. You know, I was did not very athletic, not very strong, not very fast, didn't play a ton. And then in 10th grade, sophomore year of high school, I found log snapping and I focused on that and, and did whatever I could to get to where I wanted to go. I think, you know, in the beginning, the first few years before I found the position, it was hard. It was challenging. I, I'm sure I had self-doubt and, and uncertainty there. But then once I found log snapping, it wasn't necessarily that... I knew 100% how things were going to work out, but I had the internal motivation that I wanted to do this for myself. And I think I had an, a confidence to a degree that I was going to put in the work that no one else was willing to do it because of that I knew I was going to get results that no one else was able to get. As I was mentioning how so much of your story aligns with the NSLS and so many of the, the values that we try to instill in our community... There are so many things going on in what you just said that are so aligned with us. For example, one is the fearlessness of like not stopping yourself from getting anywhere because you're afraid to take that first step. I mean, so many of us do that in so many aspects of our lives. And I think what you just said speaks to that first thing, like you just go for it and you just do it. But more importantly, the admission of like, hey, I wasn't that great at first, <laughs> you know, and then you keep going and you keep working at it. And I think the tenacity part 
you know, is really, that's, that's a big part of it as well to, to keep going. Cause I know that sometimes we're like our biggest detractors in our own heads. Do you also get other athletes talking to you about their struggles with maybe trying to accomplish things and people putting limits on them? Yeah. You know, in, in, in respect to that, are you referring to kind of like this day and age with what I do or, or just to get some clarity on that question? Well, I know right now you are a motivational speaker as well. So I should clarify that you, you speak to other audiences and you sort of talk about these same topics as well. Do you get any athletes who are, uh, who have physical disabilities ever sharing their stories with you about how they are thriving maybe because of the words you've, you've shared? Yeah. You know, I've met a few and it's always a, an honor and a pleasure when I'm able to meet those athletes who have used my story as inspiration to help them meet their goals and, and accomplish what they want to do. And so I love when I'm able to do that. You know, it's not every day, but it's definitely from time to time I, I meet those individuals. Yeah. And you've also mentioned too in other interviews how, and you even said it in this beginning of our conversation, like, you know, f- football didn't necessarily or doesn't define you, right? That wasn't necessarily like all that you were, but it was just another thing you were, you wanted to accomplish. But I know you were also a student as well. So what was your academic aspiration while you were going to school? Yeah. You know, I, I always did okay in school. I never did amazing. I studied finance, but I, I never loved school. You know, it wasn't, it just wasn't for me. I did fine. I, you know, I yeah, got yeah. decent grades, but I wasn't a person who really enjoyed it or, or wanted to go through it. And, and I learned a lot from being at Tulane and, and, playing football. And, and that's where I have most of my kind of memories and I think life lessons from, but school just wasn't my favorite thing in, in the world by any means. And, you know, I went into finance after school as well as kind of building a speaking career to start. And it shifted from, mm. you know, me leaving finance to launching other companies and, and becoming an entrepreneur. And, and that's what I do now, obviously. But, you know, I think there was a place for it. And, and obviously I took my academics seriously but it wasn't something I, I never was a straight A student. I never, you know, loved everything about it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you were not alone <laughs> in that capacity in any way. Going back to football though, as you were evolving, just to take it back to when you were sort of in the seventh grade and you were doing your thing and trying to sort of get better at it. You do mention, of course, long snapping. And for those of us who don't uh, really know uh, what long snapping is in relation to football training, explain a little bit about why long snapping was so significant for you. Yeah. So I was the person on punts and field goals who, you know, snapped the ball between my legs and, and, you know, blocked in front of me during, you know, punts and field goals. And, you know, I found that position in 10th grade before that I was an offense and defensive lineman. And I realized that if I got good enough at this unique niche position, you know, I might have an opportunity to play at a very high level. And, you know, that's what I focused on from then on out. It, it was something that I practiced each and every day, you know, both in the mornings, you know, when I woke up early and, and during practice after school. But I put everything I had into it to get to the level I was because I knew that most people didn't want to be that position. And even people who, you know, were going after it, they weren't going to put in the work that I was willing to do. And so I, I understood and I had this idea that if I worked 10, 20, 30 times harder than everyone else, then I would have a shot. Mm. And division one, again, for those who don't really follow sports, division one is like the highest level for college athletics, correct? Or football yes. in this case. Yep. And and then the next step would be like the NFL. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I read you had, was there a, a point where you were like a free agent for the NFL? Yeah. So senior year, you know, I didn't want everything to be done with football. I was training for my pro day, did my pro day, which is essentially a 
you know, work out and try out in front of a bunch of teams, ended up, you know, talking to a handful of teams for a bit, you know, was a free agent, uh, didn't end up making a roster, but, you know, gave, gave a go at it. And, you know, that was my, my journey after, after college and then kind of transitioned into, like I said earlier, the, the world of finance, the world of speaking, and, you know, that led to what I'm doing now. Yeah. That's fascinating though. I mean, quite honestly, to get to that level, considering where you began in the seventh grade, when people were like, kind of not necessarily thinking that was even a possibility, there you are being an NFL free agent. That's pretty phenomenal. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, man. That's that's amazing. I know that you, as a motivational speaker, though, you have, I guess, varied audiences. So it's not just sort of individuals, I guess, or, or non-corporate uh, audiences, but you do also talk to companies and organizations as well? My main practice is with, with companies. You know, my organization is broken down to a few different areas. And so it's, you know, speaking workshops and consulting. And so we work with Companies anywhere from small startups to Fortune 500s on one-time keynote speeches, workshops, you know, a day-long workshop to good dive into different topics and, you know, longer-term consulting, whether it be on leadership development, overcoming adversity, diversity, inclusion, different topics like that. You know, we also, I speak at conferences all over, work with, you know, college and professional sports teams, schools, all types of organizations and teams. Right. And you mentioned diversity and inclusion being one of the, the, the key things you talk about. Is it more so as companies are looking? I mean, do you find that companies are genuinely now looking to sort of be a lot more accommodating to all the various types of people in the world who may have not had representation in the past? Or do you find you're still like kind of really having to sort of uh, lead them you know, to the water, so to speak? No, I think I think there's a mix. I think it just depends on the level and, and size of the company. You know, obviously, if I'm I'm going in talking to or working with a Fortune 500, they have that built out at least to a pretty good degree. And so maybe in there, it's going in and, and talking about my experience, helping them expand on their initiatives, whatever that might be. You know, obviously, with a smaller company, it's it's you know going in and having a speech, but it also might be really helping them come up with the strategy and and the framework for what they're going to do because they probably don't have that built out yet. You know, if you're a $10 million company, your focus is on business growth. Your focus probably isn't on DNI, and that's totally fine, totally understandable. That's, you know, that's, that's where my, I mean, my focus right now on my business is growth. And you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. my number one and only focus. But, you know, when you're at the $100 million range for a company, when you're at the billion dollar range, you, you're going to have that built out most of the time. And so it's a very different experience based on the size of the company I, I work with. Right. And I think also to, to your point, I mean, there's all these varying degrees of what inclusion means. I know people speak about that and they think often when it has to do with race and ethnicity. And we forget about people who have different body challenges or different, you know, physical situations. And so you're right, there's very different sort of levels in which, you know, a company might need to accommodate that. Now, when it comes to also the parallels between your own experiences and talking to these audiences, because I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be completely authentic, right? They're coming to you because you have something to say about diversity, obviously, and inclusion, because you're someone who had to navigate through the world as someone different, so to speak, in that regard. But what are some of the parallels you find when you're talking to like a corporate audience that you're bringing to it from your own personal experience that you're relaying to the corporate yeah you know i think there's there's a lot of tie-ins between diversity inclusion and overcoming adversity when i talk about those topics and you know it's it's despite the circumstances you're in how do you overcome them how do you create a pathway for success going over 
the common misconceptions that people have about you know people with different disabilities or, or what they can and can't do going through the you know unconscious biases you know what are the ways that companies can hire better promote better companies can work with those individuals better and create that culture better and i think every organization has different challenges different unique experiences and so the first thing i always you know look to do is have that conversation and sit down and figure out what is going on what can you do better where can we improve because whether it be a speech or a workshop or consulting I want to tailor it towards that specific organization because I could give a talk. You know, I had a conversation with someone at school this morning, actually, who's going to be bringing me in to speak. And one thing I said to him is like, you know, I could give the same exact talk to you and, and a school town over and it would probably impact and would add a lot of value. But if we take 30 minutes and we have a conversation and I learn about what's going on in your school, what the challenges are, where you want to go, what the issues are and the problems are, how you've tried to overcome them, what has worked, what hasn't worked. They're going to be different than every other school, I guarantee you. And so if I can use that information to tailor my talk, to tailor my speech and, and really hit on those specific points, your faculty, your students, everyone will get a lot more out of it. And so it's always unique. Mm, that's a great point because I speak to a lot of people on the show and they're motivational speakers in some cases, but I find that the most successful ones literally said exactly what you said. There's not some like cookie cutter seminar they're teaching, right? Like, look, if I go speak at a conference and they hire me to come in and talk about my standard keynote, you know, yes, that's most of the time going to be a typical, you know what I mean? That's that's prepared that, and that's yeah. prepared what I, what I do. You know, I can, I can go do my, my most popular one is achieving goals through adversity. And I can go in and say that right now, probably it's, you know what I mean? I, I understand what I'm going to do, but I can also tailor that and make it unique when I talk to companies, schools, teams based on what's going on within them because it's a different type of environment. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. I get it because, you know, I, I, the, the diversity and inclusion conversation is exactly what it is. I mean, it's not going to, you know, there's no difference in nuances there. But definitely, if you're going to, like you mentioned, go to a, a multi million dollar company with a bigger budget and a bigger demographic and all these different things, you would have to tailor that. But I think at the end of the day, too, there's a very common denominator I find in successful people, which you also check that box. And I think it stems from when you were younger, when you you know, fell in love with the sport of football. But I think in articles I've read about you, what comes across common as a common denominator is the word passion. There was a passion you had for sports in that regard, and it led you all the way to how far you got as being an NFL draft pick. So what drives your passion for success? You know, I, I think that's a word that I probably used to use a lot. And I think honestly, it's probably thrown around too much because I think that there's a very big difference between passion and, and, and obsession. And so the way I like to talk about that is when you're passionate about something, you know, it could be a hobby. It could be something you put some time into and you do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But truly successful people are not passionate. They're obsessed. I was obsessed with football to the point that people thought I was absolutely batshit. Like <laughs> I, I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day, practice long snapping, go to school, go to practice, lift weights every single you know evening, go on the weekends, you know, did whatever I could. Like people thought I was insane. I 100% believed when I wasn't great that I was going to be a Division One athlete. People thought I was nuts. I was absolutely obsessed. And that's how I am today within business and with everything I'm doing. But 
you have to be obsessed if you want to be successful. You can be passionate and see some success, but it's going to be limited unless you're willing to be obsessed. Poignant words of wisdom to end with. Aaron Gallup, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you being here today. And like I said, I think your story is remarkable. And I love the fact that for you, you're kind of like, no, it's just who I am in a way. I've read some articles or you didn't like to do interviews about it, but it is quite fascinating. So we appreciate you being here today with us on Motivational Mondays. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.